Welcome to another episode of Be On Air. And today's episode is very special because this is live. So you may be watching this on YouTube, you may be watching this on Facebook, or you may be listening to this in the future on the podcast app. Wherever you are in time and space, thank you so much for joining us. Today's a very special episode because I've brought on two extraordinary souls. These are both educators who have been monks and they are senior educators in the bhakti yoga tradition, as well as hosts of a top spirituality podcast. If you know who I'm talking about, then you've listened to Wisdom of the Sages. Today's conversation is going to be organic, natural. These are two dear mentors and, and, and seniors in my spiritual family, as well as in the podcasting space. And so we're going to be diving into topics such as, you know, how do you, how do you build a podcast that's actually successful? Uh, Raghunath was on Joe Rogan. You know, that's like the top of the podcaster's dream to make it onto that show. So we're going to be asking about that. But then we're also going to be answering and asking some of life's deepest questions. And we will be turning to some ancient Vedic texts in order to do so. So please stick around. We will be right back. I've learned more listening to podcasts than I learned in my two years of college. Right now is a great opportunity to leverage the power of voice. No one's going to be able to offer the world what you can. It took someone else that had a bigger vision than me to be able to show me the way. And so now that we're here, we can show others the way. What if you can do what you love to fight what you hate? Be on air. Powered by Podcast Farm. Welcome, welcome, sages. I'm so grateful that you're here, and we are all very excited to learn more about you. How how are you both doing today? How's the day going? Rogo, you kick it off. I'm having a tough day. (laughs) (laughs) You want want the God honest truth or something? I could slap something on and say, I'm I'm having a tough day today. I appreciate that, and that's that's what we want here. We want the God honest truth. We want the truth to life's deepest problems, so I appreciate your honesty there. And Kastuba Prabhu, uh, how's your day going? Is it a hard day for you? I'm doing fine, but the fact that my friend Raghunath is having hard days, it's weighing a little on me too. Well, one thing that I can sense from both of you is is a dear friendship. I think everyone who tunes into the podcast immediately kind of uh, can feel your vibe. And I thought maybe we could just start by by sharing with my audience how you two met originally, because I know that you've been friends for over 30 years. You both were monks in the ashrams uh, in the same tradition. So maybe you could share briefly just what, you know, how did you two encounter each other? Hmm. Um, well, you know, we, um, we, we kind of knew of each other before we knew each other. We were kind of from the same uh, hardcore punk, like it was kind of an underground New York hardcore punk rock scene in the early and mid 80s. And so we knew a lot of the same people, you know, we would see each other walk in the streets and, and so on. But uh, we had, you know, I was kind of hanging out with one group of guys. He was kind of hanging out with another group of guys. But uh, we knew of each other. Um, and but within that um, hardcore scene, there was a uh, I guess you could say like a, a vein, you know, of um, bhakti yoga within that, a vein of uh, Krishna consciousness within that. And so we both started getting into that myself around 86 and then into 87 and Raghunath r- roughly the same time, right? Maybe just a, a year later or so. I, I got into it, but I didn't get more serious till, till 88. 88 or so. Yeah. So then in 87, I was invited by a monk named Gunagrahi Dasko Swami to travel with him. And that's kind of where I just split out of New York and, and uh, started living life as a monk traveling. And uh, about a year after that, um, Roganath also um, did the same, kind of dropped out of the music scene and the hardcore scene and got into the full on into the bhakti scene. And that's when we really got to know each other. And uh, we've been close friends ever since. So one thing that's interesting to me is, you know, for, for listeners who may not know or be familiar with bhakti yoga, they might hear that and think that it's um, maybe just, you know, a fitness, a fitness thing or, or just a meditation thing. Maybe you could briefly explain a little bit around bhakti yoga. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Yo- yo- bhakti yoga is like the a yoga of devotion. Yoga means to connect. So we do use a... Uh, are different faculties to connect with the higher powers. The idea of the soul has to reconnect. We feel a little lost. We feel a little disconnected and we want to reconnect. 
So there's physical practices and the physical practices are so damn good that they become really popular and they almost eclipse the other, um, almost like the full meal of what the yoga system has to offer. But actually, the more you get into yoga, the more you realize I'm not doing this for fitness, actually. Fitness is just a side benefit. There's so many more deeper facets of this tradition uh, that are changing me, that are helping me evolve. So Bhakti Yoga focuses on that connection, not necessarily with the physical, although I was practicing the physical yoga at the time. And physical yoga was also very rare back then in New York City, which is hard to believe nowadays. It wasn't really in the conversation in New York in the 80s. If there was a yoga studio, it would be have a definitely have a spiritual twist. It was it was not secular fitness workout yoga like there is today. So anyway, um bhakti yoga is the yoga of devotion. It's connecting to the heart. We use mantras, we use kirtan, a lot of singing. We use um basically it's about taking what you're good at in this world and using it as a uh, way to serve the center instead of being the center. And uh, it's a whole deep, rich, beautiful culture and philosophy. Yeah, so I was listening to one of the clips from your Joe Rogan interview talking about being on stage, right, and not you know wanting to be God versus wanting to serve God on from the stage, right? And so... Yeah. Um, you, you, you both have amassed quite a large following around wisdom of the sages podcast, and you do this podcast daily. You do it partly in front of a, of a live zoom audience. Sometimes there's really people there in the room with you. Uh, but then the whole world at large gets to tune into these daily yoga podcasts where you both are tackling, uh, a verse from the book that you that you read from the Srimad Bhagavatam, which we'll get into in a little bit, or talking about, you know, something going on for you, for you guys currently. And, you know, you mentioned the hardcore scene you met there. It For some, it might seem a little bit like very different vibes than what we think of when we think of yoga and meditation. So how do you how do you two, rec, you know, combine those two flavors? Maybe we should huh? explain what that is, because like, what is <laughs> what the is hardcore hard? scene? Like some people don't know what it is. Yeah, you know, it, you know, most people have heard of punk rock, so that kind of took off in the mid to late seventies, and then, um, you know, it kind of uh, people debate of whether it started in New York or started in London, but in any case, it, it began to really take off in in, in London in uh in 76, 77, and and then it swung back to America, but uh, in the early eighties a real kind of American flavor to it developed. And uh, that became known as hardcore punk rock, a little faster, you know, a little bit wilder. And with its own, each, even every city in America had its own flavor, its own variety of hardcore. But um, it, you know, to get to your question, I, the way that I understood that scene was, it was a scene that was largely about like misfits, you know, kids that didn't quite fit in, kids that were thinking for themselves, kids that um, were frustrated or, uh, you know, recognizing hypocrisy and speaking out against it and that kind of thing. And so on one hand, that world that, um, that hardcore, particularly the, the world of the New York hardcore scene, which was, um, you know, it had its, its real dark side. It, it's, you know, uh, drug side it's it's violence side it, it was it was it was a pretty wild world um but within that there was this kind of um open-mindedness free thinkingness uh that was there that was always searching for something higher not not conforming to the norm and you know at that time to get into bhakti meant you had to sh <laughs> you had to shave your head you know put on robes you know uh, it, it required a lot of uh non-conformity so in that sense, it was a it was a scene where you would find people that were ready to make drastic moves in their lives in the search for truth. Mm. And so that's I guess that's how I would see one way that they would kind of fit together. Yeah, I relate to this because uh, I'm actually an electronic music producer and I yeah. got really into kind of heavier bass music but mixing that with mantra music. And I always ran up against this sort of inner conflict of like, is this, is this real? Can I worship God with even the heaviest music? And I think seeing some of these bands come out in the devotional movement that are heavier is, is reassuring. Cause it almost, it almost sh like gives light to some of the harder, darker 
uh, scary, painful parts of life, right? Like at the beginning, Raghunath, you were saying that today is a hard day, which, you know, sometimes we have hard days and sometimes we need to scream it out. (laughs) So maybe, maybe this is a good segue into Kirtan, which is another huge aspect of what you both do. And I know Raghunath, you do, um, you do pilgrimages to India and, um, Kastuba Prabhu, you teach at the Bhakti Center in in New York. Is that right? Yes. So maybe we could talk a little bit about Kirtan and the power of sound. You know, this is a show for any conscious creator with a message to share it. So we do that primarily through podcasting, but also live streaming, videos, music production, anything that lets us use our voice. And I think Kirtan is such a pure uh, expression. So maybe you could share a little bit about what Kirtan is and how you too uh, integrate Kirtan into what you do. You want to take it? You want me to? <laughs> how about I, I'll talk about Kirtan and you talk about how we integrate it. Okay. Okay. So, so you know, um, you you started by asking a little bit about Bhakti Yoga and all that, and, and um, you know, within Bhakti Yoga, there's the it starts with the premise that we're not these bodies, that we're the soul within the body. The soul is a spark of spiritual energy and it animates the body, makes it come alive. When the soul leaves the body, we have a dead body and the soul continues because it's made of spiritual energy. It's eternal. It never dies and it, and it goes on. Um, but we, although we're this spiritual spark and the nature of spiritual energy is it's blissful by nature, it's happy by nature, but we lose touch with that. And the yoga philosophy says we lose touch that with that because we identify not with ourself, not with the soul within, but we identify with the mind and the body. And so there are different yoga practices that are meant to help one overcome the interference of the mind. It's like a computer that's been corrupted, but you know it's got corrupted files on it that's making us think this external thing will make me happy or that external thing will make me happy. And, and I pursue those external things just following the dictation of the programming within the mind, losing touch with my own uh, blissful nature that's underneath. So the different yoga techniques are, are ways to gain control of the mind, ways so that um, practices that, so that we can take control rather than be controlled by the mind. Now, when we get to kirtan, the idea is a lot of the meditational practices that people, pra- yoga practices that go back ages, you know, go back centuries, go back millennia, they're difficult for people to practice in this day and age where we are bombarded with um, so much sensual overload. Uh, our minds are disturbed always. We're, we, most people don't have deeply peaceful minds. We're, we're not simple people that can be satisfied very simply. We've got minds with very short attention spans, et cetera, et cetera. So, so it, the, those meditation techniques are difficult for us to focus on. But kirtan is said to be the yoga practice for this age. It's called the yuga dharma. For this age, it's the dharma. And it means that we take the same mantras that people meditate on for ages, um, but you do it musically and you do it congregationally. And the combination of those two elements, the, the, the musical element helps bring one's mind and get one's mind deeply absorbed into it, and the congregational uh, element where you have a group of people all in one sense singing with one voice. Uh, it, it's a it's a very powerful way to bring our mind deeply into it. Uh, it's it's a meditation. It also becomes a prayer, and one can become deeply absorbed. And it's that practice of it's the mind needs to be focused, and by focusing it on this spiritual sound, uh, the mind can be um, dealt with. <laughs> we can say you know it can you could say it purifies the mind. And when the mind is purified, then it's no longer in conflict with the self. There's no longer a tension or a discord between the two. There can be harmony between the mind and the self. And that's what we call yoga. And Raghunath, maybe you can speak about how we integrate it. Hmm. Well, the integration of, uh, well, you, as far as our podcast goes, or how, how about we just integrate it into our life? Um, what are you looking for? I, I forgot the original question, Kaylee. Yeah, so I'm sort of wondering how you use kirtan in your daily life, but then also maybe you could talk a little bit about um, you. You, I know you both tour around. Maybe you could share a little bit about how you you literally share kirtan with people and how people could participate yeah. in that. We usually have. Um, I'm a, I'm a yoga teacher, and I also teach classes on 
the origins of Vedic philosophy. I'm a storyteller and as well as doing the podcast. So um, when I teach yoga, I'm always doing call and response chanting in the class at the beginning and the end of class. Sometimes I'll do exclusively chanting and storytelling. Um, and generally there's like a, you know, there's like a, it's, there's a big demographic of people who love Kirtan. And if you've been to one, they're, they're, they're actually very um, powerful and transformational and paradigm shifting. I think what happens is you get a group of people together and it's singing. That's not like a performance. It's singing almost like a prayer. And these mantras are very powerful. And I can honestly say that people like break down sometimes in them. You're just coming together and you're offering these prayers and it has a transformational effect and you like it and you come back and you tell a friend. And so sometimes we give little teasers, like I'll do a little bit in class. Um, and then people will be like, wow, I really like that chanting. And then they'll say, well, just come back to our regular kirtan. We just do kirtan the entire class. And sometimes I'll give classes on the significance of kirtan or classes on ways to improve the quality of your kirtan. There's ways to do that as well. Um, and a lot of that has to do with behavior and how you treat people and how you look at people and how you treat yourself. Um, and uh, uh, those, you know, those factors can be a blow right through the roof that are limiting our spiritual growth. And this isn't me because I'm very wise speaking. This is just how the traditions of the yogis teach us. If you want to have some uh, in, in, in powerful effect on yourself and on other people, you have to stay within the parameters of your behavior and your thoughts. And what are you going to put in your mouth? And what are you going to put in your eyes? And what are you going to put in your ears? Because you're creating a whole world like that. And if I'm like, if I'm off rail, off the rails, my train's not going to go very far. And a lot of times due to bad habits and bad choices, um, and bad uh, the way we were raised and things that we got into maybe as a kid. I've created so much damage with my vehicle. I'm just sort of like off the rails and I just can't move forward on my spiritual quest. So all the yoga systems give a way to prune those bad habits back and it basically puts us back on the rails. And from there, the endeavor is much more effective. Our spiritual path is much more effective and we can start to glide and fly and float and it's tangible. It's something you actually feel. It's nothing I have to preach to you about to be. It's something that you just sort of like become inspired with and you, you taste it yourself. And then you want to go forward because you want to, you want that taste to get sweeter and sweeter. Does that make sense? It makes so much sense. And it's, you know, it's backed up with modern coaching research, uh, our, you know, our thoughts influence our feelings, our feelings influence our behavior, our behavior dictates our results and then that cycles back our results impact our thoughts and so it, it you know it makes a lot of sense what you're saying and i'm i'm wondering so all of this information that we're talking about comes from india right this is the ancient vedic sanatan dharm the eternal religion the the vedic thought and philosophy is really profound and deep and there's so many different books and stuff but in particular your podcast wisdom of the sages revolves around one book in particular. And I was hoping that you could introduce the listeners to what that book is and why it contains not only life's most important questions, but the answers to life's most important questions as well. What will Kostuba say about this? I want to hear what he's going to say. Well, you know, there's, as you mentioned, there's a vast um, body of literature out of India, very ancient books composed in the Sanskrit language, that go back, you know, within the tradition, it believes that this knowledge is actually, it's always existed, but it was compiled and edited, you know, uh, 5,000 or so years ago. And those books become the basis of uh, what's called Vedanta, an entire tradition of knowledge, and really the uh, yoga and Hinduism and all Eastern philosophy actually becomes influenced um, by these books and a large amount of West of the Western language and, and philosophy also becomes influenced by it. But, um, you know, there's, th there's a vast body of works. And the what's unique about these books is that they don't, it's not like they're simple religious teachings, but it's, it's, it's a broad um, approach, reaching out to people on different levels. So some segments of these, of this broader literature will appeal to certain people on one level and some will appeal to people on another level and others will, 
So within that, you have some that some of these books, like the four Vedas, mostly they teach about how to be a good, pious person, be kind to others, respect nature, respect God or the gods, demonstrate your gratitude and live happily within the material world, you know, um, which is a step up for most people, you know, like that level of sensitivity and refinement and, and so on. Uh, and then there's other books like the Upanishads, which express, you know, they, they more express like, hey, we're not meant to just enjoy the things of this world. There's something higher than that. You're, you're not made of matter. You are the soul within the body. You are eternal. You can transcend this and experience a much deeper level of bliss. You need to renounce this world. Uh, go within. And so there's a lot of beautiful teachings there. And and um, and then there's then comes like the Mahabharata, the great epic of India, which has the, m- m- such an important book, the Bhagavad Gita, within that. And it, it begins to try to find a, um, you know, like there's a thesis. Okay, let's enjoy the material world. An antithesis. No, this material world is a trap. You should escape it. And then there's a synthesis of how we can move through this world, even be happy in this world, um, but not so much in renouncing it externally, but renouncing our attachments to it internally and focusing on what's really the highest goal in life, higher than enjoying this world or higher than escaping the pains of this world, is developing divine love. And that means that one can develop love for God, our source, the root of all existence. And through connecting to that root, uh, you know, metaphorically connecting with every leaf, which would mean every living being. And so what, what happens is the Srimad Bhagavatam, which still comes later in this progression of literature, is 18,000 verses. There you go. There it is. Um, yeah. And that must be very thin. That's one of those one it's volume. Like the rice like, paper version. <laughs> the rice paper one. Yeah. Or oh, an incredibly tiny print. Yeah. Mm. So, so it's 18,000 verses that what it aims to do is it aims to clarify any questions or any confusions that someone might have had reading the broader literature and say, this is actually the way the book begins is the author who compiled all of this literature, having made such a contribution to the world, is still feeling a little bit despondent and he can't quite put his finger on it. Why? His name was Srila Vyasadeva, the, the great compiler of, of, of all the Vedas and the Vedic literature. And he can't quite understand why am I, I should be, feeling really good you know i am focused i live a pure life i, I you know i i i, I give myself to serve others and i still haven't found what i'm looking for that's actually he composed that song in the text and, and, and you two uncovered it it was like an, it was coded and they found it and um but 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 he he uh, he was trying to get to what is the root of my despondency. His guru appears to him and says, you ha- you've been indirect in all of these texts, and now you have to be m- totally direct, and you have to show that ultimately all of this yoga and all of these practices and all of this tradition, etc., it all leads to the highest point where one completely from the heart develops love for God and through that love for every living being. That's That's where we're meant to go. That's what it's all meant to lead. Some books may get you part of the way there and other books may get you another few steps. And then you can, you can argue, yeah, which one is right or which one's wrong. They're all right, but they still are meant to lead to an ultimate conclusion of divine love. And that's what we find in Srimad Bhagavatam, which is, it's interesting because um, I find why it's so timely and why we're getting maybe part of why we're getting such a big response to, to our podcast, which focuses on this book is because it really gets to the essence of things. Uh, it doesn't get caught up in um, technical details. It's very non-judgmental. It's like no matter how messed up you are in life, no matter, we use the term a lot, a dented can, you know, like uh, no matter how much of a dented can you are in life, really what matters most is your intention. And so let's focus on that attention, intention. Let's get that spiritual intention right. It doesn't matter for a man, woman. It doesn't matter for grew up in this tradition if we didn't. It doesn't matter if I've grown up with good habits or bad habits. Uh, but as long as I'm trying to, to focus on that essential message, um, I'm, I'm moving in the right direction. And the Srimad Bhagavatam focuses on that essential message. And so it's called the cream of all the Vedic literature. And the work of Srila Vyasadeva in his maturity, the ripened fruit of it all. Uh, it's really what we're most people, you know, when people say I'm I'm into spirituality, I'm not into religion. I think the Bhagavatam really speaks to that. And perhaps mm-hmm. that's why we're getting a big response to it. 
I think it's a thread that ties all these, you know, Eastern practices together. The idea of meditation or kirtan or yoga or pranayam or astrology or um, uh, temple worship and rituals and fire yagyas. And there's so many different facets of Indian. Where are we going with it all? What's it meant to get us to? Is there a final destination? Is that the goal? Fitness? Then I'm fit. Okay, is, is that a win to be fit until I die? Or is it to be very calm and peaceful till I die? Or is it to have all these, you know, people do this thing. It's like feng shui, vastu. Is it to have everything energetically balanced in my house? Is it to eat all organic foods or do a cleanse? Is it to detox my body? And then what? I thought I wasn't the body. Why am I detoxing this body? So where are all these practices leading to? And that's culminating this very, very, broad-gated, right, inclusive literature. When I say inclusive, I mean it's not to say, okay, we're going to trump Christianity here. We're going to put it down a trump card and bust you open. We're not going to trump Islam. We're going to trump Judaism. It's not like that. It is the thread that ties it all together. That's the power of the Bhagavatam. It's not to convert, okay, I'm going to convert this Christian into over into a Hindu. It's not that. What it is is we are going to, the, the book is speaking now. I'm speaking on behalf of the book. We are going to, the book is going to, the yoga system is going to not convert you to something, but help you remember what you already are. And what are, are we already? We're all pure spirit souls that just forgot. And I'm acting in many, many material ways. And because of it, I'm dissatisfied. I'm unpleased. I'm unfulfilled. I'm not satiated. I, and, and so what can I do? What is the process? What, what are we supposed to be doing while we're here? And truthfully, that's the first story of the book. It's a king who has only seven days to live. And sometimes we get this idea, we think, well, you know, that 1%, that 1%, they have everything. They must be really enjoying life. How could anything go wrong for the 1%? And here it is. Here is a king. He is not just a king. He's an emperor. And he gets cursed to die. And he has to very quickly. In seven days. Yeah. In, in seven days. He's going to die in seven days. He's got to very quickly figure out what the hell to do with his life. And he was not a bad guy. He knew about Vedic rituals and yoga. And uh, he was a very cultured, dharmic person. But he figured, now I'm going to die. I got to get somebody to take over my kingdom. I'm going to install my son as the next emperor. And I'm going to leave everything behind. All my wealth, my family, my stuff that I'm so attached to, and I'm going to find a teacher. And he went to that forest. He found a teacher, and he sat down with this very evolved being and said, what is the duty of a man about to die? And it's so, or even though it's sort of like a good way to start a book, it's actually our book because we're all men and women about to die. And it may not be in seven days like the king. It might be in seven years, 70 years, seven minutes. We don't know. It's like a time bomb is strapped to our leg and we don't know who said it or when it's going to go off, but we're all about to die. And so what do we do with that? Because most people who criticize spirituality, they say, you guys are just fakes. You're not dealing with reality. Hey, what's more real than that opening statement of what do you do with your life when you're about to die? That will really make you prioritize your life. As a matter of fact, if we all knew that we are going to die tomorrow morning, that would radically change what we do tonight, right? We wouldn't say, well, I'm going to go to bed early. I want to rest up for death. I, we, we want to do something. We want to say some I'm sorry's, forgive me's, um, I love you's. We'd probably make a few calls tonight. We'd probably stay up late. We'd probably get really focused. We'd probably let go of any resentment in the heart. So these, this is a question for everybody, and this is the way it wraps up. It really concludes the entire yogic process, and we dive into it. And it's no small undertaking, this book. It's 18,000 Sanskrit verses, 12 cantos, and we are in tech, canto three. Yeah, we're midway through the third, so. At least you know you have a lot of podcast episodes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's a weekly podcast. If it was a weekly really? podcast, we would never make it through the, the book. <laughs> we would die before we're done. 
No, but I want to, I mean, this is, this is so extraordinarily beautiful. And I, I'm curious if anyone else listening right now, it can feel that energy. It's, it's pretty edgy, you know, to confront our death. And a lot of people go through life trying not to look at death and trying to avoid it. Uh, and then you'll have maybe the flip of that where it's like you get so depressed about the end that you can't do anything, right? And so there's this middle path of keeping death and the end present so that we have that fire to do what we're meant to do here to really take advantage of our full life force. And I could just feel that energy as you were talking. And and so this book, like you said, this is our story. This is our story. We don't know when we'll die, but it's going to come. And then what is it that we do? And so the Bhagavatam uh, perfectly lays out these really important questions and answers and stories and, and ways of being. And so, you know, one thing as you were talking made me think about the five aims of life, the the Purusharta, right? Um, maybe maybe y'all could help me out with them. What what are the five aims of life? Well, generally, dharma. there's four they start with, right? Dharma. Okay, four. Well, they dharma, say four, but then there's the fifth. Yeah, right. Dharma, Artha, Kama, and Moksha. So, Dharma means, you know, it's a hard word to translate, but it means like living a good life. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and there's the belief that if you live the good life, it brings you good results. It brings you um, happiness in life. So, you know, and, and it'll bring you well, those wealth, you know, what, what it brings you includes Arta, which you could mean like economic well-being. And then comma, the fulfillment of one's material desires. But then um, ultimately that would lead to moksha, which would mean like letting go of all material desires and letting go of you know, becoming free of our entanglement in this world. And so um, there was, you know, traditionally in this yogic, within this yoga tradition, there was um, the idea that, you know, um, when you're young, you're getting trained up in, in learning about life and learning this Vedic knowledge, learning this yoga knowledge, and then you get married. And, um, if you've been living a dharmic life, it means you give in charity, you take care of others, you're a responsible husband, you're a responsible wife, you're a responsible parents, you're a responsible people in society. And um, you're, you, you see it all in terms of your um, duties to God and to your elders and to everyone else. That's, that's dharma. And that should bring artha, economic well-being. You'll get good karma for that. You can, you know, and then you know, comma, you know, there's sexual enjoyment in married life. There's the, the, the pleasure of, you know, the love that you feel from your children. And, you know, there's the comforts of family life. There's a home and, you know, whatever other accoutrements you get. And, you know, um, so there's Dharma, Artha, Kama. But then as you go through that, as a, say a married couple goes through that, uh, they live out their, you know, their material desires and they recognize that with all the material enjoyment in life, there's also pain. With all the joy of raising children, there's so much anxiety, sometimes disappointment, sometimes tragedies, pain. And you begin to see the truth of this material world that it's kind of like, it's a coin with two sides. For all the enjoyment, there's also suffering. And then you begin to let it go. Mm. And so that, then you approach moksha, becoming free from all one's material entanglement. But the fifth one, uh, is called prema. So it's sometimes said, prema, what is prema pumarto mahan? Uh, that the, the fifth one is really what the Bhagavatam takes one to, right? The Srimad Bhagavatam. It says, but even beyond all that, even beyond becoming free of our material desires and the reactions of this material world, karmic reactions due to our material engagement, there's, you know, and one could, one could achieve this peace of mukti, of moksha, but there's something more than that. That there's something beyond that. There's that's just the negation of our material suffering. But beyond that is prema, is love for God, and as we mentioned earlier, you know, love for every living being. So uh, that's considered the fifth, the, the prem pusharto mahan, prem pumarto mahan. Yeah, and it's you know those first four. I mean, for just speaking for myself, like it's very easy for me to tunnel vision on those first four and not even think about the fifth one. And uh, a, a teacher in our in in the tradition in the Vedic tradition, Srila Sridhar Maharaj, has this really great way of explaining kind of a similar thing in a in a very real way, which is like as a as a being, my my immediate objective is how do I remove myself from suffering and misery? Right. Mm-hmm. That's like my first one. Then the second one is like how do I help other people do the same? 
then after that it's how do i get knowledge how do i how do i have light and remove darkness right those are the second two but then the the last one which is the prime which is how do i taste nectar how do i taste bliss right so the the positive thing everything else right. is negating itself but what is the what's the actual positive movement for the for the living being exactly we were talking about this on the show today actually because we're saying like moksha it's almost like when you have someone's holding your head under the water you know, like if you're swimming in the pool or something, your kid, and then some bigger kid comes along, and sticks your head under the water, and you're when you're when you're there, your mind is full of anxiety, right? Your head's under the water, you're just suffering, and you're just waiting. What will when will they let me out? When will they let me out? I need to be free of this anxiety. And then when they let you out, you take a breath of air, and all your anxiety immediately dissipates, mm. and you and it almost feels like bliss, like oh, this is what I needed. That's what moksha is like. But we're just we're we're breathing right now, and it's no big deal. It's it's actually just a neutral state. There's something more to life than just not suffering, and so that's where prema comes in. That actually, um, you know, the, the there's a taste, there's a flavor, there's a there's a spiritual enjoyment um, that comes through love in many different varieties. And w- if we can find that love for God, then we can find it for every living being. And that's the the deeper. Uh, message of the Vedic literature. And again, that's what's revealed in the Srimad Bhagavatam. And going back to the the original topic of kirtan, another form of kirtan isn't just singing, it's it's uh, reciting the Srimad Bhagavatam, for instance. And so that, you know, you two started Wisdom of the Sages. Did you know that it was going to get as big as it got? Like, was that sort of a plan? Or did, was it like, how did, how did the podcast come about? That would be really interesting to know. Um. Can I take this one, Kostuba? Yeah, run with it. it. You know, it was very organic. Um, I was in India with a, 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 um, a group of students, and we were at a uh, ashram. And I was with a, a, a one lady. I'll call her my teacher because she teaches me so much. And she was going, and but she lives in India. And she's going, all your students, they all read the Srimad Bhagavatam. And my students were pretty new to Bhakti. They just knew me pretty much. And I said, probably not so much. And she started lecturing us about the importance of the Srimad Bhagavatam. And she did it almost a little too much. Like she kept on <laughs> going on and on. It started getting a little awkward and weird. She's a charismatic person. Yeah. And she, she can speak strong. <laughs> she's a strong speaker and just started. I, and I deal with a lot of people who are new to this type of thing. They're new to India and they're new to traveling. They're new to Bhakti and they're new to pilgrimage. So I am always very gentle, but she was very, very strong. So anyway, when I got home, I... Uh, and, I and, and she was strong in insisting that everyone should read the Srimad Bhagavatam. Yeah, that everybody should read the Srimad Bhagavatam every day, every day. Not even just a little, every day. And if you're it, reading something else and you haven't read that yet, what are you doing? What's your, yeah, <laughs> why are you reading any other book except the Srimad Bhagavatam? And so when I got back to New York City, I ran into Kostuba. And Kostuba said something similar. He goes... Hey, you know, um, I'm going to start reading the Srimad Bhagavatam every day. And I thought that was very interestingly, co- you know, coincidental because it's exactly what she told me a few days earlier. And he's like, yeah, let's just do it. Let's make a commitment to just read the Srimad Bhagavatam every day. And I was like, well, I already have a couple students that I read with back at our farm in upstate. So I said, yeah, you know what? Let's we read from different books. Maybe we should just go through the Bhagavatam. And as I... um Went up there, I started to realize, you know what? I actually have a lot of students that are into this. I come, I teach a workshop in New Jersey or in Texas or in Los Angeles or in New York, and they get into it, but then they don't hear about it anymore. They don't, they can't follow through with making it a regular practice. Um, so I could put it out there for them, and that way, there's always like a Zoom group that can they can refer to. It wasn't really planned to be a podcast. It was more like a Zoom study group that you can join live and that's it. And so we started off with like eight people who want, you know, some students and 10 people, 15, 20 people. And it started getting regular. And cause Stuba was reading the Bhagavatam on his own and, you know, because he made that commitment to read every day. And Oh, another thing was in my music days, I used to be in a band and we, a lot of people got into Bhakti from this band I was in. And so a lot of them that, you know, they're sort of out there, you know, and with Bhakti, it's something you got to really harness in and bring back. So I thought it will be good for the people who are into my music. It'll be good to my yoga students. And most of all, it's just going to be good for me to make a commitment to read, read the Bhagavatam every day. 
So we started doing, and then every now and then I'd see Kostuba's face show up on the screen. I was like, hey, Kostuba's here. And I'd introduce him and say, this is Kostuba. He's an old friend of mine and he helps when we do teacher trainings. He's one of our guest teachers. Kostuba, what do you think of this verse? And then Kostuba, uh, you know, he'll, he'll give his expression. And so a- a- after a few days of Kostuba joining, people were like, man, I really like the way you two. People would write comments and say, I really like the way you guys go back and forth because Raghunath, you're so crazy and you're out of control <laughs> and you got such a big mouth. And Kostuba is, <laughs> is very, very steady and he's systematic and he's philosophical. And you guys just bounce, play off each other so nicely. So I, I don't know. When did you officially join that? Well, we you know, we call it the Super Soul Sacred Sangha. Yeah, I think I joined it like um, you began it in March of 2019. And I think I joined it a few times like in June and July and August. Right. And by September, I think I was daily there. And then and uh, the numbers were growing. You know, it was like uh, this was at 5 a.m. in the morning. And I know. Uh, it was the numbers grew up till about like by the time it was November or so, it was about 80, 85 people that were tuning in at 5 a.m. every morning. Um, we weren't releasing it that then as a podcast. You had to come on Zoom. Some people no. were downloading it from Zoom, but it was basically like an underground thing. Mm. And then uh, we decided, you know, we're going to make a podcast January 1st. Let's just do it. Let's make a podcast January 1st because we are going to India to lead a training there. And we were going to travel in India for a few weeks afterwards. So January 1st was our very first one. We had about 60 live students every night. January 1st, 2020. Yeah, we just, January 1st, 2020. Pre-pandemic, pre-we even know how to do it. You know, we've never done a podcast. We're just sort of completely winging it. Um, Didn't understand the technical side, how even really, we just had to learn it. And um, after doing it it and all that. Yeah, we branded it. And uh, after doing it for a month, we started traveling around India. And I get this text message from an old friend named Joe Rogan. And um, he had no idea I was doing a podcast, but we used to do martial arts together. And then he hired me as his first yoga teacher. And that was about 20 years ago when I lived in Los Angeles. And um, he called me up and said, you know, I'd really love to get you on my podcast. Now, I didn't even listen to podcasts. And um, I was just like, all I know is, you know, Joe's a super, super smart guy and he's super sharp and he's super opinionated. Um, but I didn't even realize how big Joe Rogan's show was. And, you know, later people told me, you're like, that's like getting on, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live and mad tv what it was like for us when we were younger growing up and getting on all the major networks <laughs> like in um, yeah and um so he's i said well why do you want to interview me he's like everybody does yoga I, 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 do you want to debate me or something he goes no no don't be silly i really want to know about your yoga path because i knew know you're really into this and you're not just got a 200 hour teacher training and you're like teaching you like live this stuff and I said, well, all right, I'll do it. When do you want me to do it? He goes, how about next week? I go, well, I'm in, I'm in India right now. He goes, well, when do you get back? I said, I get back in a week. He goes, how about the week after that? I was like, all right, I'm talking to my family, but sure. He goes, okay, I'll fly you out. We'll pick you up. We'll put you in a hotel and we'll just get you. You don't have to prepare for it. Just come. We just really want to hear what you have to say. And that, and that really, I mean, I didn't realize it, but you know, after I got off that podcast, my Instagram following following was just going ding 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 ding. <laughs> it was like out of control. Did you get more download, uh, like more listeners on the podcast as well as a result oh of that? Oh my god! Um, yeah. <laughs> not not only did we get more more for it, but people started reading the Bhagavatam every day. Wow! And wow. so many people just say, "Yeah, you know, I heard you on Joe Rogan. I thought it was pretty intelligent. I listened to the podcast, and now I listen every day. And now I just bought a set of Shrimad Bhagavatams, and it, I'm like." Lots of people. Yeah, you 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 asked, did we know it would be as big as it would be? We didn't. And um, before Joe Rogan, so Joe, Joe, you were on Joe Rogan's show. It was about two months in, two or two and a half months yeah, in of, 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 of our starting it. We had about 900 daily listeners at that point, which even that was that's like, wow. Yeah, that's it was like, that's, that's great. You know, it's every day, you know. Um, but then after Joe Rogan, it, overnight it shot up to 10,000. 
Wow. So that was like, yeah, that was a good, good exposure. I mean, it it really, it really is the top of the, of the podcast mountain. And, and it's kind of funny that it's very clear in that interview, just what a, what a nice connection you two have. And I think it's actually a really cool side of Joe to see. Um, And, and it was just, it was, that was the first time I'd ever actually seen you Raghunath and kind of started to become more, uh, it wasn't the first time I'd ever heard about you though. I had heard about you because you came here and you'd done a yoga teacher training that really blew my friend's mind because you were able to do asana really incredibly, but you were talking about bhakti and Krishna and doing kirtan and all this. And so I'd heard about you, but then I saw you and yeah, I mean, it, it, it really is powerful. And that is the that's the idea with podcasting, right? Like even what we're doing here by, by me interviewing you two, your audience is seeing our conversation and maybe some of them end up kind of checking out beyond air podcast. Mm-hmm. Wait, I can't get the direction, right? There it is. Beyond air podcast. Yeah, um, but, but I mean, it's, it's association. It really is association by associating with different people. We can, we can elevate our show, elevate our platform and elevate our voice. And it was just such a, it was a really blissful thing to turn on Joe Rogan and see a conversation about the Bhagavad Gita going on like that. Yeah. That felt like a big win, you know, having Tulsi Gabbard run, uh, even just run, you know, not to get into politics at all, but to have a vegetarian um, Bhakti Yogi run, for president is just certain milestones that are pretty cool. And so, she's been on Joe Rogan twice. And she's been on Joe Rogan twice. So. <laughs> Which is pretty impressive too. <laughs> but you know, it, but it's speaking of milestones, the way I the way I look at Rogan's appearance on Joe Rogan, I look at it historically. And I think that in history, and when I say history, I mean like all of history, you know, um, I believe it's probably the largest platform for one event. Um, to present bhakti or Bhagavad Gita or even Hinduism or, or whatever, you know, it's like, um, I don't know how many 10 million or more people saw that in one shot. I say historically, that was the biggest platform ever to present this kind of thought. I, I agree. I agree. And that's why it was, it was kind of, uh, it wasn't kind of, it was very surprising to see. I was like, is this really happening? What, yeah, what is going on here? Well, you know, it was, it was, I'm sorry. No, go please go. go, go. I was going to say, uh, when it gets to be that mag amplified and you gotta think if he would have called me, I mean, I didn't talk to the guy and I was friends with him 20 years ago. We had a little catch up maybe 10 years ago. Haven't talked to him. And then if he would have called me a month and a half earlier, there would be no facility for people logging in, finding me because we were just doing a zoom class. There were no back classes. They were just one, one offs, but he called me after the podcast became established. For me, we call that a Christian miracle. That is one of those <laughs> you can't. There's the probability is so unlikely. He could have called me any time within ten. He's been doing a podcast for twenty years. <laughs> you know, it was right, like right and, until we got everything set up, and then wow. he called. So you had just branded and everything a month and a half before. Wow. Otherwise, you couldn't. I would get a. I would imagine if he called me in December. Yeah, let me let me t- and what do you guys do? I do I do a I do a, a lecture every morning. Would have been like okay, there would be no link to a lecture. It yeah. just wouldn't work. You know, I heard something really cool. We had you know we had a, a picnic for our podcast, Wisdom of the Sages picnic in Central Park the other day, and so we were doing like sort of a meet and greet with all the people. And some people are on Zoom, so we know their faces, but we never met them. And I tell you, they come every day, so it's like they're my family pretty much. But I've never met them personally. But there were a lot of faces I didn't know. And one lady came up to me. And I said, how did, so how did you get into this? She said, I heard you on Joe Rogan. I said, well, how did you hear us on Joe Rogan? She goes, I just Google searched the Bhagavad Gita. <laughs> and Joe Rogan came up with you. I, now, I don't know if that's because maybe she searched Joe Rogan before or something like that. But if for some reason, Joe is hashtag Bhagavad Gita. And you just come off at the top of the at the top of the Google searches now, and me, me and Joe Rogan because Joe Rogan's so big. That will be quite amazing if anyone searches Gita and gets that. I'm I'm searching right now. I'm searching right now to to try and see it. And you know, you can spell Bhagavad Gita in a couple different ways. But check, I mean, or, I, or at least yeah. check YouTube. Check Yo, YouTube definitely YouTube. You'll come up for sure. But I mean, that is it is the reason why I'm so excited about the power of voice and podcasting right now. And I think everyone is is 
the old media empire mogul thing is is slowly kind of transitioning to this distributed you know everyone has their own platform and you you know joe as a idea of of what it could be but then maybe more realistically wisdom of the sages so you you all have you've built a patreon you have merch you do these meetups you do the live uh the live every morning there's some real people there but then you can also get it after the fact on all the podcast platforms so you've really built this very big loudspeaker for these ancient teachings and it it kind of reminds me of of a great teacher in our line you know when they started use utilizing the printing press uh, right. they called it sort of after the drum that we play the the murdanga they called the it the brihad murdanga right so this is almost like another iteration after that of like how do you broadcast your message as loud as possible yeah, yeah it's the brihat brihat the big big drum it's amplified it's like slingshotted podcasting is the way it's unbelievable it's like why because it's not i mean imagine the old days when all this stuff was on palm leaves and if you want to learn transcendental wisdom you find a teacher that's hard enough maybe you hear a reputation he lives in a cave because they've given up the world and they live very simply so you go to the village and then he's he or she reads you from these palm leaves and then imagine the time that all of a sudden wait a second we can print these. Oh my God. We can print these. I can take one home. I just don't have to go to the cave. I can bring one home and read it. Then I can go to the cave and ask them questions. Come back. It like amplifies your learning and your focus and your, you know, your day-to-day regulation and applying spiritual truth. So you take this into the modern age and you've got a podcast, which you don't have to purchase. You just like listen and they're free and they're on your phone and they're with you while you're driving or while you're walking down the street. And it's like at any moment, this is the gift of the information age. We know the deficit of the information age. It's overwhelming. It it traps your attention. It takes you down to dark places sometimes. It could really ruin your life sometimes. It could make you addicted. It could you know get you into all types of inappropriate things. But if you go really deep, if you're like an archaeologist and you're digging for gold, you can find incredible, spiritual, valuable things to consume. And that is incredible. That's what YouTube is great for. That's what Audible is great for. That's what podcasts are great for. Now I can go anywhere. I can be on the top of a mountain, isolated, but I've downloaded some valuable information. And by the way, we just want to reiterate that the idea of wisdom of the sages is not that we are some sage, but we are hearing from great sages. And we're just sort of repeating in a sort of modern way what they said to us. It's not like we're so great. It's that the the truth or these truthful teachings are so great and they become great and we become enlivened by application. So yeah, yeah, you're in a glorious spot with this information. It's handled correctly. I would just add one thing to that. And that is that what you're saying is true. Like we're in an age where anyone can start their own podcast uh, and that's unique. Because, you know, if you go back a couple decades, no one could get their own television show or their own radio show or, you know, but now you can do it yourself. But that being said, like the reason why we went from 900 to 10,000 overnight was because Roganaut did a really good job on that show, you Mm -hmm. know. And the reason why he did a really good job is because he's dedicated his life to it for decades, you know. So he really gained the knowledge and the experience, the experience of how to present it to people. He, he's been traveling the world just, you know, whether it's at concerts or at yoga studios, just like, you know, giving, putting his heart into, you know, communicating this message and and um, and refining that ability to communicate that message. So when he was on Joe Rogan, he really, you know, hit the mark. And so many people are like, I want to hear more from this guy. And they came over. And so by practicing speaking about what we love the most, the longest we become qualified to share that we become uh, capable to share that in, in ways that are digestible and uh, accessible, which the wisdom of the sages podcast is that. So for everyone listening now and in the future, this is a podcast that people, if, if they don't do any other spiritual practice, they listen to this show in the morning. And I I've heard from so many random people in my life 
who listen to this that aren't connected in any way. They've, they've found the podcast and they, they drink from it like water, like a well in the morning. Right. And it's part of their spiritual practice. So it's a really great, uh, funny, hilarious, like you will laugh your butt off, but you will also uh, feel deeply soothing truths. Sometimes maybe some confronting truths, but the truth can be confronting, uh, but always beautiful beautiful, loving conversations between you two. And, you know, I know we're winding down to the end of uh, our our time today. Maybe uh, you could share a little bit about what's coming up for uh, both of you and for the podcast so that the listeners can know what uh, is coming on the horizon. Uh, Well, we're about to have our 500th episode. So that's coming up. We don't know what we're going to (laughs) do. We want to try to do something special. We have no (laughs) idea what it'll be. Um. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I think maybe the next thing coming is Raghunath wants to get himself one of those things. You know, he's yeah, want to get one of those noise time. machines. We're going uh, to we're, Italy. We're having an it- Italy retreat. Yeah. It's sold out. And the, uh, we're going to go to Tuscany. I'm looking forward to that. We get to meet all these people. A lot of times we don't we don't meet them or we just know each other on Zoom. And so uh, we're doing retreats around. We did a retreat in New York, one in L.A. And now we're going to do one in Italy. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I was going to mention that the timing was uh, really interesting because not only did w- one month in, you know, Joe Rogan contacted Raghunath, but then just after Raghunath was on Joe Rogan, the pandemic set in, set in, you know, and the lockdown set yeah. in. And that's when people were just like, they were so much needed what we were doing and they needed it daily. <laughs> and we were right. We were already all set up, you know. That was, it we was were, really a Christian miracle there too. I think. Yeah, because then everyone turned went over to Zoom, but we were already there. We were already set up. We already had the whole thing ready to go. But that being said, you know, we went a year, year and a half without really being able to meet the people in, in person. And so, what we do want to do, part of what we want to do is uh, we do want to improve our marketing. So, because we believe it's a message that if a lot of people hear it, it'll be valuable for them, and they'll they'll, they'll take to it. But we also want to um, try to um, reach people and provide all kind of opportunities where someone could say, you know what, this is changing my life. How do I pursue it further? And so we do want to design more kinds of ways to meet and help people train them, connect with them, inspire them in person as well. So maybe that's something we'll be developing more in the future. You know, one thing I want to share before we leave is, and one thing I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that it emerged into this but you know we had a patreon community and on the patreon community we make it so anybody can join if you want to contribute it's community sponsored you go to patreon.com slash wisdom of the sages and you give whatever you want a dollar hundred whatever you give you get the same thing yeah but yeah we put on yoga yoga classes um workshops on ayurveda on health and well-being and another thing that blossomed out of this was this beautiful 12-step Bhakti recovery group. Yeah. And it's grown into a full blown multiple meetings per week, every day and 10 meetings per week now, because the idea is that we're suffering in this material world, trying to uh, put a a square peg in a round hole. Like I'm trying to find, fulfill my spiritual self. I'm a spiritual being and I'm trying to fulfill that hole with material desires and it's just not working. So 12 step programs and Bhakti yoga go beautifully hand in hand. Um, and uh, we have a huge community of people that take it very seriously and they want recovery and they want healing and they want growth and they want evolution. And, and they want it in the context of bhakti. Right. Yeah. It's, it, 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 it's really inspiring for me to witness it go. Cause we, we basically just had the idea of doing it. And some of our big recovery t- uh, students, they ran with it and they, they really made a beautiful garden out of the entire thing, so to speak. And I'm, I'm really impressed and I'm proud to be part of it. You know, that's, and- that's so beautiful. How can I just real quick want to tell the listeners where they can get that info? Is that all on the Patreon, the, the 12 step? It is. If you write to Bhakti Recovery Group at gmail.com, you can get all the info. If you go to our website, wisdomthesages.com, you can also find the info. And you get and, on our mailing list there too. Wisdom of the Sages. Want to get on our Sage page? We put out a, a newsletter now every week as well. And you know, I was if, another that you asked, what's the next thing? And you know, inspired by by that, um, it's inspired by the Bhakti Recovery Group, which was just grew straight out of Wisdom of the Sages. People, it's not that Raghunath and I do it. It's just that it brought the people together that could do it, inspired by Bhagavatam and Bhakti. 
Uh, also, we've been bringing, you know, from time to time, bringing people that are experts in counseling or, um, you know, whether it's be relationship counseling or psychological counseling or people, uh, uh, chaplains that, that are, um, you know, expert in dealing with end of life care and end of life counseling. And because we do questions and answers every, we take questions from our people writing questions and every Saturday we answer those questions. So sometimes we bring in these experts, they, they practice bhakti yoga like us, they're friends of ours, but they, they're expert in these different fields. And uh, there's a team kind of building around these kind of issues, uh, mental care, you know, um, pastoral care, that kind of thing. And so we're building a team uh, just as we speak, practically. Uh, mm. And and it was easy for the 12 step because like 12 steps are the meetings and how they work is already laid out and it snaps right into Zoom. And so this group is getting together and we're trying to figure out what's the, what are the best forms by which they can reach people. And uh, people are eager to get it. So that that maybe that's the next significant thing to grow out of wisdom and sages that is so inspiring and and something that i my father it was a wish of my father that he he worked to to do during his lifetime and it's something that is uh, important to me as well which is to provide those services and those that support to our community and so thank you so much for sharing that on here so again people listening dear audience you can connect with uh kastuba das and ragunath on their patreon at patreon.com backslash wisdom of the sages also wisdom of the sages.com and what was the uh, bhakti recovery bhakti recovery at gmail.com at gmail.com bhakti recovery at gmail.com and of course every day tune in to wisdom of the sages podcast on all platforms wherever you get your podcast uh you're you're on youtube as well yes yep Okay, so you can get you can literally tune in wherever you are and and get these doses of uh, extraordinary truth, ancient wisdom that has been passed from teacher to student to teacher to student and preserved for thousands of years. And it's truly timeless wisdom. Uh, Kastuba, Raghunath Prabhu is so wonderful to have you both on the show. Uh, is If there's anything else you'd like to share in closing, I open up the space for you. But it has been an absolute honor to get to spend this time with you both. Keep do, keep doing what you're doing. You're yeah. inspirational yourself. Glad to be here. And yeah. um, looking forward to connecting with people. You can reach me at, at Raghunath Yogi. And um, how do you spell R-A-G-H-U-N-A-T-H. <laughs> spell my name. And Kastuba, what's your Instagram? Instagram is just Kastuba, K-A-U-S-T-U-B-H-A. Kastuba. Yeah. And stay and thank connected you, with us. Yeah, thank you, Kaylee. Uh, we, we love what you're doing, and uh, we didn't mention it, but you know, you're a bit of a counselor for us and helping us get our act together. So we're we're so appreciative of you and all that you do. Actually, Costubas is K A U. Oh, thank right. you. K-A-U. When I try and do this on the fly, sometimes K A U S T U B H A. How's that? That's it. That'll do it. If you're watching this, you can grab their Instagram handles. Otherwise. Uh, you can definitely go to wisdomofthesages.com. And thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, it has been really an honor to get to learn more about the podcast and share whatever experiences and tips that I've picked up from different folks I've listened to, learned from, and my own experience. And I am just so excited that you all are out there sharing these messages every day uh, that that exists. And it really, it it gives me uh, endless hope for... (laughs) podcasting for the times that we move in that there are people that are devoted to sharing such positivity and encouragement in times of of darkness and strife honestly so with that we shall bid our our esteemed guest farewell thank you so much for giving us that time it has been absolutely wonderful if we didn't get to your question uh, i apologize thank you so much for tuning in steve paolo christine from astrology now podcast um, oh yeah 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 she's there and we shall see you on the next episode of be on air take care thanks so much Kaylee. bye thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of be on air i hope you enjoyed it and are now one step closer to turning on your mic and broadcasting your message to the world are you ready to start your own podcast and amplify your brand or are you struggling to get your show in front of engaged audiences i can help you on your broadcasting journey Get in touch with me and apply for a strategy session if you want to discuss your podcast idea. You can reach me at www.podcast-farm.com 
I'm on all the social media. Until next time, my friends, I'm Kaylee Marks. Thanks for tuning in to Be On Air. We have this rare opportunity right now. There has never been a time like this before where we've been able to so easily share our voices with the world. And the planet is going through an enormous struggle and an enormous transformation right now. It's my belief that the best way forward is for each of us to find our purpose, to share our passions, and to communicate with each other so that we can amplify what we love, who we love, and those voices that need to be elevated. We turn up the volume. This isn't just another course. This is a community that will take you to the next level. You'll be guided to launch your own podcast and distribute it so that the entire world can hear it. This isn't just launching a podcast, my friends. This is about using the power of your voice to amplify what you love.